The Old Testament reading is from Ezekiel 13, 1 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophecy, against the prophets of Israel. You are prophesying and saying to those who prophesy from their own hearts, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken, therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, and therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall thy enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. The New T Testament reading is from Acts 15, 22 through 35. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well, farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they have read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, in teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Please join with me, brothers and sisters, in prayer. God, we do thank you for your word, and Lord, as I preach to your people this morning, God, I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide my words, as I do believe there are some warnings to us here about those that we listen to and those that we are called to listen to. Father, give us great wisdom, because we long to hear your word, and I pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would guide my words this morning, 
to uh, preach clearly what the Bible teaches us, and also, Lord, guide our ears, our eyes, and our hands and feet to be obedient to your word, and also to be encouraged in the great truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. I go to a a gym in St. Cloud um, early in the mornings, and uh, I like to run on the treadmill. And One of the reasons I don't run outside is because um, I like to watch TV while I run just makes life easier for me than having to sweat outside. So, um, so one of the things about the gym is that there's kind of like this wall of TVs uh, there, and you can watch the news, you can watch CSI Miami. But the other thing that's interesting about it is that at one end, if you're on the treadmills over here, there's one TV preacher that's on the television, and if you go to the other side, there's another TV preacher on that television. And um, I'm not going to give you the names of those TV preachers, but I will tell you that it's kind of like one extreme or the other on either side of the room. And I got to thinking about it the one day, and I kind of Googled them afterwards just to see a little bit more about what they teach. And I will admit to you, I have some concerns about some of the theology coming from them. But it started to get me thinking about the reality that um, there's a lot of preachers out there today. I mean, there really is. There's a lot of messages that you can hear, and there's a lot that claim to you that they are teaching from the Bible and what the gospel teaches And yet those messages oftentimes from these different sources can be very, very different. Now, on one hand, it is true that God has called us as Christians to listen to those that he has called to preach the gospel. There are those that have the authority to do that. They are called to do that. And I believe actually the scripture gives us some indicators, even in this very passage, of those that we are called to listen to and those that we are called to guard carefully who may be distorting the message. As we all, I believe, as Christians want to hear from the Lord, how do we discern who's really speaking from him? Now, of course, as I tackle this topic, I do, uh, or I am aware that it may seem a little self-serving. You know, here's a preacher standing up here telling you what preacher you're supposed to listen to. And of course, you know, my hope is that you would be encouraged to listen to me. But my goal here this morning is really this, is to unpack for you what I think the Bible teaches in terms of not only the characteristics, but the ways that indicate to us that a teacher is following the Word of God. Following after the Jerusalem council in which the council meets and they decide that as the Gentiles come in, no longer is circumcision going to be required for those males. Now they need to send a message to the the church in Antioch and some of the other Gentile churches to let them know this. And they also do this wisely with representatives. It's neat that they don't just send a letter, but they kind of act pastorally and that they send a, a body of elders to come and talk to the church in Antioch. Look with me at what the text says here in verses 22 through 24. That it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, And troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. The circumcision party, as they were called, had actually um, caused a great unsettling amongst the church of these new Gentiles. And in their efforts to say that, you know what, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, they'd actually caused what I believe was a disturbance of their faith, thinking maybe we haven't done enough, maybe, maybe we're not truly saved just by believing in Jesus alone. 
Their effort has created such a controversy that it may have, in fact, led to a split of the church between Jew and Gentile. Now, honestly, historically, as we look at our past, unfortunately, that did come in time in many ways. But that was not the intention of what the church was about. It is actually for us to see that both Jew and Gentile together are united by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. The Jerusalem Council, which I've been telling you is kind of our first general assembly of the elders coming together, in wisdom, not only send this letter, but they send representatives to confirm the letter. And there was great wisdom in this. It was pastoral in its approach. They didn't just send the letter and hope for the best and say, well, we hope you read it. We hope everything goes good and we're not here to answer any of your questions. But they actually send four elders to pastor the church through what they are teaching. What they also make clear is that those who caused the disturbance did not, um, although they, they actually did come from the congregation in Jerusalem, they were not sent by the congregation in Jerusalem. They came actually with no authority to be teaching the things that they were teaching. They'd never been authorized to teach uh, these things that circumcision was required of, of salvation. And unlike Paul and Barnabas, who were commissioned by the church through the laying out of hands, these men who had come and they started teaching this about circumcision, they were sort of self-appointed, kind of came and decided that they had a mission to disturb the teaching of Jesus by teaching something that they had never been appointed to teach. The authority of the church, I believe, is something that is important. And, you know, in our day and age, um, especially, I think, as Western Christians, a lot of times we think very autonomously. Okay, we think about kind of ourselves and, and what, uh, what we're about. But the reality is, is that the authority of the church is not something that the church itself established. It's something that God himself has established. That there is a role for elders and pastors and teachers and deacons. And all of us as congregational members have a, a, a reality on which we are called to submit to authorities that are over us. Now, if those authorities step out of line and are being um, outside of the biblical commands, well, that's another issue. But the reality of church authority is something that God has established by the scriptures. And it is actually for the building up of the body. A church submitting to the scripture is authorized by God to send missionaries, to appoint teachers and elders. And again, I believe that this process is a biblical process. It's not one that we invented, not one that we came up with. But oftentimes where we, where we run into danger is when you have teachers show up that are self-appointed. Self-appointed. They just suddenly start to have a following. Um, there's no church that actually has sent them. There's no church that's behind them. But they just start believing that they have authority to teach. And actually, sometimes they begin teaching corrupt doctrines. That's very much what it seems to have happened with this circumcision party. These individuals show up. They have no authority to be teaching, but they begin um, causing a disturbance and making these new believers, these Gentile Christians, question whether or not they are truly saved by faith alone in Jesus. They're actually disturbing their minds. And the Gentiles begin to wonder, is this teaching from God? Is this something that we should be listening to? And you know what, as their teaching was unsettling, and in many ways what uh, the, the Gentiles, or not the Gentiles, but the Jerusalem uh, council is going to send them a letter that's going to settle their minds, it's important for us to remember, okay, that we don't determine that a teaching is from God by it being unsettling or by it being settling. 
hear me on this, okay? The teaching that these... Uh, circumcision party was giving was unsettling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that in and of itself is not an indicator that it's false. Because there are times where God does convict us of sin and he, he puts us in an unsettling place where we need to be convicted of that sin and the danger that a path of sin takes us down. But oftentimes, I think more often than not, the error that happens today is that uh, we just listen to things that aren't unsettling. Things that don't make us uncomfortable. In fact, you know, um, this is part of what 2 Timothy 4, uh, 3 warns us about. The Apostle Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Basically, it's, it's easy for us to kind of gravitate to those that say exactly what we want to hear. And, um, and it's easy for us to look particularly for teachers that do that. But... What the Bible calls us to do is to be unsettled by our sin and settled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who came to die for our sins and it is by his work that we are saved. We should be settled in that. This is in many ways sort of the error that was taking place in the book of Ezekiel where we read that passage this morning is that basically the prophets of Israel were claiming God spoken to us and what they were doing is they were just sending a, a message to make everybody feel comfortable but the Lord had not been speaking to them. The warnings that were coming from Ezekiel were that actually you need to turn from your sins. You need to recognize what is going on around you. In verses 25 through 27, the letter says this, It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So the church again sends Paul and Barnabas, along with two prophets from the congregation of Jerusalem, Judas and Silas. Silas. And you know, it's, it's uh, wise that they send two members of the congregation, of these two elders and these two uh, prophets, because they were there to say, hey, this letter is legit. This is authentic. This came actually from the ruling body of elders that gathered together in Jerusalem. And we want to be able to answer questions for you and to say that actually we are behind what Paul and Barnabas have been teaching and we want to be here to represent that. And it's interesting as well that the Jerusalem uh, Council writes in this letter the characteristics of Paul and Barnabas. You see what it said? They are men who have risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of what they're saying is, look, examine the track record of Paul and Barnabas. These are men who actually believe in what they're teaching. They have been willing to lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel. Paul was stoned recently over his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are faithful witnesses. And so I think an important point for us too, church, as we discern who we should be listening to in terms of our teachers, is that we need to know that God speaks through teachers whose life fruit matches the gospel that they proclaim whose life fruit matches the gospel they proclaim. Now, on one hand, what I'm not saying here is that your teachers are perfect, okay? They're not perfect, but their lives, according to what the scriptures say, need to be above reproach. This is one of the characteristics of being an elder, according to 1 Timothy 3, is that their lives need to be above reproach. They are those that need to be following the gospel. They need to be repenting of sins. They need to be living out 
what they preach. And this is part of the indicator that tells us this is somebody we should be listening to or not. Of course, all of these things are subject to the Scriptures. Are the things that these people are teaching, are these um, in line with what the Scriptures teach? Well, again, this is what the Jerusalem Council did. Remember, is that as they examined what it seemed that the Holy Spirit was doing, they looked at the Bible and the book of Amos and confirmed that actually this is exactly what the Lord has said throughout the Scriptures that he will do is bring the Gentiles into the faith. Here's your blank one for you if you're taking notes this morning, okay? That I believe God speaks through those he puts in authority in the church under the authority of the scriptures. God speaks through those he puts in authority in the church under the authority of the scriptures. And this is really important, okay? The church actually has no authority that, that supersedes the scriptures. The church itself, I as your pastor, need to be submissive to what the Bible says is my job, is my role, not only as a Christian, but as a pastor. I don't get to change what the word of God says, and the church never gets to do that. But we need to be subservient to the scriptures and also recognize that God has put an authority structure in place within the church that we are called to follow. I'm going to tell you a story about myself. Um, When I was a young Bible college grad, I was not a Presbyterian at the time. I was a Baptist, and I was kind of going to this Baptist church over in Sarasota, and uh, one of the things that happened, I was attending there for a while, and I was enjoying the church, Um, but I and this one other person who was a seminary graduate, um, we kind of got excited about the idea of teaching a Bible study. And I hadn't joined this church at the time. And so uh, we decided that we were going to teach this Bible study. And so um, uh, we were trying to get it advertised in our church. And, um, and one of the things that happened is the pastors came to my friend, who was a member of the church, and said, um, here's the deal. Like, BJ really can't be teaching that until he actually becomes a member of our church. And I'll tell you, when I, when I got that message, I was like, Really? Really? I have a Bible college degree. I'm not allowed to teach the Bible in this church because of the fact that I'm not a member yet. And so sort of my pride and my arrogance began to come up. And I'll never forget, the Holy Spirit pricked my conscience, and I began to think about that. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was saying to me as I, as I began to think, um, do you really think that you are authorized to teach the Bible and tell people that they should join the church and be part of it when you yourself won't submit to it? I remember also thinking about those men who were elders in the church who were telling me no at this time. And what I knew about them is that their life fruit matched the gospel they were preaching. They weren't trying to be bad guys. They were trying to say, you know what, it's important that if you're going to teach the Bible that you actually know what you're talking about and that you are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that, that they they weren't trying to be bad guys. They weren't even saying, like, you can't teach ever. They were just saying, we want you to come under our authority and then we will authorize you to be a teacher in this Bible study. I'll tell you that the Lord blessed that, and I decided that it was right for me to join this church and to be under the authority of those elders. And our Bible study grew, and it encouraged my faith as I thought about even that submission in that time. It wasn't like taking rights away from me. It was encouraging me to remember that um, in and of myself, I can be prideful. I can be corrupt. I need to be checked up on. That's one of the reasons that later on I became a Presbyterian is I like the fact that um, 
I am under a presbytery's authority, that they examine what I'm preaching, they examine what I teach for that very reason, that we need to understand that the gospel needs to be proclaimed scripturally and well under the authority of the church. You know, Jesus makes an outrageous statement in Matthew 16. He says to Peter, after Peter has confessed him as the Christ, that the keys of the kingdom are going to be given to the church. I want you to think about that. The keys to the kingdom means that actually the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Lord, sometimes in disciplining Christians, is tied to the spiritual reality of what's going on in heaven. Also, the acceptance of those through baptism and faith is tied spiritually to these keys of the kingdom that the Lord has given authority in his church. Now, beyond the shadow of a doubt, churches can become corrupt. Churches can start to misuse the authority that they've been giving and rule it over with an iron fist. And we always need to be on guard of that on whether or not we are actually submitting to Christ and to the gospel and building up the body. But one of the challenges I would have to you this morning is that, you know, many of you probably listen to a lot of different online podcasts or preachers or other things like that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but check carefully the authority that they're under. All right, is there anybody overseeing what they're teaching? Are they submitting to the authority of a church? Are they also self-proclaimed Bible teachers that have kind of come up out of nowhere and believe that they have all the right answers? But ultimately, is what they're teaching actually what the Bible teaches? All right, that's just part of the reason that we need to be so committed to the apostles' teaching is we need to understand what the Bible teaches and to be following that because the keys of the kingdom of God are attached by Christ's authority over his church. As Christians, I think we all want to submit to the Holy Spirit's leading, but how can we know for sure when it's really his leading or it's our own itching ears that are trying to lead us down one direction or another? Look at verses 28 through 29. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The Jerusalem Council here claims that the Holy Spirit has uh, led them in this decision. Well, how exactly did they know? Well, on one hand... um, There were clearly prophets uh, that were uh, exercising those gifts at this time in that church. And so it may be that the Holy Spirit had spoken through those prophets, affirming these things that the church believed. But we don't actually have um, uh, that written down, so we don't know if that's exactly how the Holy Spirit led. But I think part of the indicator for how we know that the Holy Spirit was leading them is, one, what they were doing was... was, uh, proclaimed in the Scriptures, so they were lining up with the Bible, and also... All of the elders agreed, kind of unanimously, that this is what the Holy Spirit was calling them to do. And I would tell you, church, that I believe, actually, in a real sense, um, and I I think about this a lot of times in our session meetings with, with the elders in our church, is that as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, as we examine the scriptures and think about the things that we're, we're thinking about doing, if all of us unanimously say, yes, this, we feel this is something that we should do, it gives me greater confidence that the Holy Spirit is leading us. 
Now, there are times, admittedly, where um, as we examine, not only as we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us, as we examine the scriptures and make sure we're in line with that, that sometimes there'll be three or four of us elders that'll say, let's go this way, and two or three that'll say the other way. And so we also believe in this plurality that, um, that we are examining these things together. And so some decisions get made that way. But I'll tell you, even in thinking about renting both of these rooms, we as the elders talked about it for, for quite a while. We, we knew that we want the Holy Spirit to continue to grow our church. We were thankful that he has. We were trying to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we looked at the budget and the finances. But all of us unanimously, as we prayed about it and talked about it, felt like, you know what, we feel like the Lord's provided. We feel like he's giving us the okay to do this. And so we moved forward together. And I will tell you, even as the pastor, one of the things that gave me great encouragement in us making this next step was that all of the elders agreed unanimously. And the Holy Spirit does work corporately guiding the leaders of his church and confirming decisions that we make by the word of God. Now, here's how this relates to you as well, okay? As you think about your own lives, sometimes as individuals, you're wondering, you know, Holy Spirit, should I take this job or that job? Should I, you know, uh, send my kids to this school or that school? And we, Holy Spirit, we want you to lead. And, and so as we kind of make those decisions one-on-one by ourselves, here's one of the principles that I think could be helpful to us, okay? First, is there something in this decision which would, would be violating God's word and God's commandments? If that's the case, then that would be an indicator of no, because the Holy Spirit will never, ever disagree with the word of God, But two, one of the ways that if we're committed to the fellowship, this is part of how the Lord works uh, in the body of Christ, is that where two or three have gathered, he meets with us. And so if you're praying about something and you have a brother or sister and you're meeting with them and you're talking about these things and they're encouraging you down the same path uh, as you pray about it, then that can be a confirmation to you that the Holy Spirit is leading you in these directions. But if you alone are saying, I think the Holy Spirit's telling me that this is the right move, and you can't find one other person who says, yes, we're in agreement with you. If your wife doesn't, if your um, family and friends don't, and also your church body is saying, no, we don't think that you're following the Spirit in this, then that's probably an indicator that we need to listen more carefully. The list of things that the Gentiles are to refrain from are repeated again here as they were in the last section. All of these things are associated with pagan temple worship. And so what the, uh, the Jerusalem Council is telling these Gentile Christians is abstain from the practices of idolatry and from sexual immorality. Again, the idea here is that you'll avoid creating conflict with Jewish brothers and sisters, but you are also to keep yourself free from sin and idolatry. You belong to Jesus. You are his servants, and you are called to live that reality out. And here we see sort of a pattern of how the Holy Spirit works as well. The Holy Spirit does two things through the instruction that helps us to see a pattern of how he leads. The Holy Spirit's leading will always build up the body of Christ. It will always build up the church. It will always be about building up the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit's leading will always call for resistance to sin. It will always call for resistance to sin. That is his work. The Holy Spirit's leading always is building up the body. And and here's what I mean by that. Because you may be thinking, okay, well, what about those times where a church decides that they need to split? I mean, our own denomination, the PCA, decided on that very thing in 1973. How did we know that the Spirit was leading us to do that? 
Well, I believe on one hand, you know, a church split is always grievous and, and, and bad, but by the same token, what these brothers believed is that we needed to be able to preach the gospel as the Bible uh, calls us to do, and in splitting, it was a call to build up the body of Christ, that the end fruit of that decision always was for the building up of the body. We should always ask these questions as we're trying to interpret what the Spirit's doing in our midst. Is this urging me away from sin, or is my heart trying to tell me, no, nah, it's okay, you can get away with it. You can just do this, even if the Bible tells you that it's wrong. And also, as we think about the things that we sense the Spirit is calling us to do, is this actually going to build up the body of Christ, or is it in some way going to tear it down? A reality here that I think is important is that what the elders were doing is that they were not dictating actions for the Holy Spirit to follow. Rather, they were interpreting what he was doing by the scriptures. And I think, too, this is essential for us in listening to the Lord's leading. If you're taking notes, this is blank, too, for you this morning. The church does not dictate actions for the Holy Spirit. We interpret his actions by the scriptures and submit to him. The church does not dictate actions for the Holy Spirit. We interpret his actions by the scriptures and submit to him. I read an article called uh, Bonhoeffer Convinced Me to Abandon My Dream, written by a man named Chase Rapogel. And uh, Chase was a seminary graduate. And uh, one of the assignments that he had while he was in seminary, thinking about church planting, is that he needed to envision what his church plant would look like. And so he came up with this great plan and this great vision. And he said, I could even picture like, what, the, what the background wood of the church building would look like and the kind of coffee we would serve and, and kind of the kind of people that we would attract. And he said, I was just so sold on this vision. But unfortunately, as he got out of seminary, um, he started in youth ministry and the Lord um, you know, blessed his efforts, but nothing ever really expanded and grew really fast. And in a short while, he was um, working just kind of an everyday job um, and not uh, realizing this dream that he had envisioned about what the church could be that he was to plant. Well, one day he senses, though, that he would like to lead a Bible study and, and kind of continue on in that. And so he began inviting two or three people over to his house, and he led a Bible study in his basement. And he says, the whole time I'm leading this Bible study, all I'm ever thinking about is that someday I'm going to plant this amazing church, and it's going to be fantastic, and God's going to do all of these glorious things. And he said, you know, and I'm just teaching this Bible study with these couples, and slowly but surely, two or three more come, and Slowly but surely, another two or three come. And before long, there's like 60 people in his basement. And he says, and I'm still, though, frustrated at the Lord because the vision I have for this church has never come about. And he says, then one day, I picked up a book called Life Together by Bonhoeffer. He said, I read these words. Bonhoeffer says, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. In this moment, Chase said it was like, like suddenly my eyes were opened. Here, I'd had this dream church that I was going to plant all these days when right in front of my face, was a body that I was to nurture, that this was the church that God wanted me to plant. These were the people he had called me to serve. And he makes this statement. He said, he realized in that moment that the pastor's call is not to envision a church, but to receive one, to receive one. 
And he began to say, you know, um, I still have dreams, but he says, I'm not sold on my dreams. I want to follow what the Holy Spirit is doing right here in my midst. And I thought that was so compelling and so right on the money and so biblical for the way the church is called to operate. I often say to us, and this is not just the church as a whole, but us as individuals, that we actually have our own plans for how God's plan should play out. We've kind of written a list for him in our minds. And some, sometimes we are so sold on the vision that we have for our life and the directions that we think we should go that what happens is that when God isn't operating in that realm and doing the things that we think he should be doing, what happens is our heart starts to grow bitter at God because he's not living up to our expectations and our plans. We actually sometimes, if we're so sold on our own vision, can actually be hostile to our husband or our wife We can be hostile to our children because they're not living up to the vision that I have for this family. And, you know, here's the thing. I think to a degree, it's not wrong for us to have some dreams and to think about some things. But those dreams always must submit if the Holy Spirit is leading us a different direction. And how do we see what the Holy Spirit is doing? Well, here's the other thing too. I think oftentimes we get so sold on our vision because we believe the Holy Spirit's not really being active in my midst. I don't know what he's doing. I want to tell you, church, there is never a moment of any day that the Holy Spirit is not active. He is doing things in your midst. He is leading you in different directions. He is trying to urge you in your belief of the gospel and your trust of Christ, even in the good days, the hard days, all days. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He conforms us to the image of Christ. And sometimes when our dreams aren't being met the way that we think, we can find that actually when we submit to the Lord's dreams, the bitterness goes away and contentment starts to arise in our hearts. We start to love those he's put in our midst. We start to rejoice in the day-to-day that God has given us. You know, church, this is part of the reason I believe we're called to submit to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer because the Holy Spirit works through these things in guiding us as his church. Through the apostles' teaching, we check our lives and ourselves by what the Bible says. Through the fellowship, we're sharpened by brothers and sisters who encourage us in the faith. Even the breaking of bread unites us to Christ and by his Spirit, he nurtures our faith and belief. And through prayer, as we bring our requests before the Lord, the Lord guides us opens our hearts, and conforms us to the image of Jesus. Here is another example of the fruit of true Christian leadership and what it looks like in verses 30 through 33. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas read the letter, and the church rejoices the congregation over what the Holy Spirit has revealed. It assures these Gentile believers that they are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and in his work alone. In many ways, as Judas and Silas come and then they remain there for a time, they help to encourage the saints in their salvation and they strengthen them. They stay to encourage and strengthen the church. And as Judas and Silas then head out, Paul and Barnabas hang out and they do what? They encourage and strengthen the church as well. This is the characteristic church, I believe, of those who are truly led by the Spirit to lead. God's messengers 
will be all about building up the body of Christ, of nurturing those who are struggling in their faith, of building them up, of encouraging them with Christ's words. Those that came to tear and destroy were not demonstrating the characteristics of God's leadership. When they came, they were destroying people and they were destroying their faith by saying that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. You know, as I think of Christian leaders today, there are a lot of really angry leaders out there. And one of the things I want to challenge us on is this, is that it is true that there is a time where there can be righteous anger, but it is highly unusual. It's not normal. It's not a normal practice. In fact, where the Bible talks about anger, it always gives warning. It always says, in your anger, do not sin. Why? Because anger so often leads to pride, to uh, anger, and to, um, to resentment, and resistance also to what the Spirit is doing. If you see a leader that is constantly angry, you need to recognize that that may not be a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, anger is never listed as any of the fruits of the Spirit, is it? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Part of the question that we need to be asking is what fruit is coming from the ministries that we're listening to? You may have noticed that there is no verse 34 in our uh, text here. Why is verse 34 missing? Well, um, likely because verse 34 was not part of the oldest manuscripts that we have. Seems that somebody tried to add an addition. What that verse says is that, you know, Silas returned because Silas is going to go with Paul in the next missionary journey. But um, the oldest texts that we have do not have verse 34. And so we don't look at it as coming from the original authors. That's why you don't have verse 34 in your uh, passage this morning. But verse 35 is in the older manuscripts following verse 33. And this is what it says. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Paul and Barnabas remained teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Well, clearly Paul and Barnabas were teaching the scriptures. But I want you to think about their emphasis in teaching the scriptures. What is the word of the Lord? According to the Gospel of John, the word of the Lord is Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As Paul and Barnabas preach the scriptures, they are preaching what the apostles taught, and they are preaching a message of Jesus and the gospel that he came to proclaim and to live out. What is that gospel? That our God sent his own son, our holy God, who knew that in our sinfulness, as we have rebelled against him, we cannot be in right relationship with God. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to become a man, to live in perfect righteousness, to take the punishment for our sins on the cross. And as he bore those sins and then uh, credits us who believe in him with his righteousness, and as he's resurrected, he has conquered the power of sin and death and restores us who believe in him to having a right relationship with God. We are actually credited with being holy as our God in heaven is holy. And there is nothing that bars us from relationship with him. I want to tell you, church, that a characteristic of someone who is really called to be a preacher is that they will preach Jesus and his gospel, not themselves. They'll preach Jesus and his gospel, not themselves. You see that in the work of Paul. What did Paul proclaim about himself? I mean, 
uh, about himself. There were times, yes, that Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. He was trying to live out the example of what he believed. But Paul's confession was, I am the chief of sinners. And he gave glory to Jesus and him alone. Here's key truth or blank three for you if you're taking notes. God's message to us always promotes the gospel of Jesus. God's message to us always promotes the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to contrast two teachers this morning. One is a very popular teacher. His name's Joel Osteen. And you know what? If you've watched TV, you probably have seen Joel Osteen come on TV. The other one is John Piper. And in Joel Osteen's case, okay, Joel Osteen says some good things. He says, you know, um, you should get into a Bible-believing church. Joel Osteen will talk about Jesus, but oftentimes the message that he has about Jesus is that if you believe in Jesus, good things will happen to you and and life will just be easier and, and grander and your faith will make you rich or make you powerful and all these different things. The scariest part, though, to me about Joel Osteen is what is absent from his teaching. You will never hear from Joel Osteen's mouth that you're a sinner in need of God's cleansing of your sin. You'll never hear Joel Osteen talk about the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sins on the cross, that his blood was necessary to atone for sins. And you know, my, my challenge to us is this, okay, is that that is the core center of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that's absent from a preacher's teaching, then we need to be wary about what they're instructing us. On the other hand, I'll give you John Piper. John Piper is a Baptist brother. Um, John Piper is the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, or at least he was for a long time. He was ordained through, through the church. He led a church with many elders. And I will tell you this about John, or, uh, John Piper, is that I don't agree with everything he says, okay? Number one, I'm a Presbyterian, he's a Baptist, so we have some differences there. But what I can appreciate very much about John Piper is that if you listen to him preach, he's not about proclaiming John Piper to you. He's about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is going to tell you that there is such a thing as sin and you need to be uh, cleansed of it. He is going to proclaim to you the holiness of God, the grandness of God, and he is going to proclaim, most importantly, that Jesus is God's son who took our sins on himself on the cross and has been resurrected in glory and is leading us as his church to be followers of him. I will tell you, church, that is the Holy Spirit's work, and I do believe men like John Piper are called by God to preach the gospel. That's a teacher worth listening to. My challenge to us this morning is to be discerning of who we listen to. We are to submit to Scripture. We are to follow the Holy Spirit's leading rather than prescribing His leading for ourselves. We are to hear preaching that preaches Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. But even thinking more particularly about ourselves, what message does your life proclaim? Does your life proclaim a submission to what the scriptures teach? Does your life uh, dictate what you think the Holy Spirit should be doing? Or are you one who is eager to follow his leading in your life? Does your life proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way that you live and in the way that you talk about the message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost? Praise to the Lord Jesus. If we preach ourselves, we will fall short. If we preach Jesus, there is no possibility of failure.
He can't fail. He's the Son of God and the incarnate conqueror of our sins. Here's your key truth this morning, church. Because the Lord builds his church by the word of his power, the church discerns God's truth by the scriptural means he's given. The church discerns God's truth by the scriptural means he's given. We are thankful that our Lord has spoken to us, that he has raised up teachers and pastors to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are one who is called to be a pastor, preach Jesus and not yourself. If you are simply a follower of Christ, my challenge to you is the same. Preach Jesus, follow him, and enjoy the grace and the gospel of our great King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for your gospel, and I thank you for its truth. I recognize, Lord, as a pastor that I fall short in so many ways. But Lord, I do pray that in my preaching and in uh, the lives that we live, that we would be those who proclaim Jesus, him crucified and resurrected. We thank you for the hope of the gospel that we have in him. Lord, I do pray that those that are teaching things that are contrary to the word of God, Lord, that in your grace that you would convict them and change their hearts to be believers of the gospel. But Lord, those that refuse to repent, I do pray also, Lord, that you would silence them from disturbing the church and preaching another gospel than the one the Bible proclaims. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the leader of the church. We submit to you this morning. We pray that we would glorify you, and we praise your name, Lord, for being incorruptible, our righteousness, and our Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.